welcome back to another episode of the Three Top Chat. This is actually uh, episode 47. Uh, last week we had a conversation with Johan Esper uh, about Svenska Tredsvenning, uh, about you know what they're doing, some other fun stuff. So uh, if you're Swedish or speak Swedish for that matter, uh, make sure to check it out. Uh, check that episode out, and, and uh, as is a very good update on, on the, what's going on uh, in the Swedish uh, arbors industry. Uh, in terms of the store, uh, we just uh, signed an agreement with Edelrid, hence the, the cap here. Uh, so we brought in some of their uh, better arborist gear, uh, the, you know, the Trirex harness, some, some uh, lanyards and some pulleys, and you know, we're going to see what else we're going to bring in there. Uh, but today, uh, we, we are going the furthest south, we Tasmania, uh, uh, to speak to Steve, uh, who works at uh, the Tree Project. Uh, these people are scientists, you know, uh, imaging uh, professionals and tree climbers, and, and they work on very interesting various projects related to uh, mapping trees around the world. Uh, so this should be a very interesting and uh, you know, conversation and episode. So uh, as usual, if you have any questions uh, for Steve or us, uh, leave them in the box below. So there he is, Steve, welcome. How you doing, buddy? Can you hear me? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. That's loud and clear. I see you have a big Teufelberger sign in the back of it. Well, you got to represent, don't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool. So how's, how's everything down in Tasmania? Uh, to be honest, mate, it, it is a, a bit hectic at the moment because Jed and I are leaving Tasmania for a few months over winter tomorrow. <laughs> okay. So outside of this, oh, really? yeah, okay, okay. outside of this shot, it's a complete chaos. So... <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so so tell us a little bit about yourself you know how did you get into this field uh, what is your background and how long have you been doing this uh to be honest i originally started as just a commercial photographer um and then my wife dr jen sanger we were holidaying in mexico believe it or not and we were having beers at some pub somewhere looked up at some power lines and there was all these orchids growing on a power line yeah. And Jen was like, I'm going to study those for my PhD. And then we spent basically the next three years climbing trees up and down the east coast of Australia, surveying epiphytes, orchids and ferns in the lovely rainforests here in Australia. Cool. So how, how long have you been doing this? Then? Uh, well, the tree projects uh, probably started in 2015, I guess. Um, and that was with some help of some friends in New Zealand, Catherine Kirby and uh, Andrew Harrison, of course two-time NZ uh, climbing champion. Um, and we've just, I have to say, we don't really have a plan or an agenda, um, but we just keep going and doing what we do. Uh, and it seems to work out fine. We have lots of fun, which is the main thing. Nice, nice. So, so uh, who's actually financing this project? <laughs> no one. <laughs> um, we are lucky. No we, yeah, well, me. And me and Jed basically finance it. Uh, it's definitely a passion project. We don't get paid for 99% of what we do, um, but we've decided to uh, live a very simple, simplified life. Uh, we don't really have okay. a lot of stuff, uh, and we, uh, where I'm going for the next four months is actually to work out in the deserts of uh, Australia, out around Alice Springs. Uh, so I'll, I'll get some okay. money then. Uh, but uh, for the tree projects, where we you know we sell some prints, it's not a huge money maker and we get some grants 
to make uh, the Big Tree Hunters film, for example. Um, yeah. And we do rely heavily on sponsorship uh, for our gear and stuff because uh, without that, uh, that's the biggest barrier to, I think, a lot of people getting into recreational tree climbing is just the, the cost of gear. Um, and so exactly. those sponsors really help us out with, with, with a lot of stuff, basically. I can imagine that. So, so uh, you know, Tasmania is uh, is uh, quite distant from you know where the vast ma majority of our uh, follower base is located. So, can you, can you tell us a little bit about you know Tasmania? Uh, you know, it's it's a very fascinating island. I think you know uh, a lot of uh, you know you know endemic species and you know uh, you know the giant eucalyptus trees and acacias and you know very uh, very nice fauna there. So, can you share some information? Um. Well, Tasmania is, a, is just, I think, one of those really classic, small, relatively small islands where there's lots of uh, species endemism. There's very unique things only found there. Um, and in the, in the greater landscape of the Australian continent, uh, we are very wet, uh, we are very mountainous, and we have a lot of uh, basically forests as a result of that, you know really famous stuff like the Tasmanian tiger, which is unfortunately extinct. But right now the Tasmanian devil, uh, we had, we had two Tasmanian devils fighting outside our front door in the suburbs here, like a couple of months ago. I thought uh, we, we would never have expected it, but you know, I opened up the front door to see what was going on. There's two Tassie devils having a go. Was like, so uh, quickly, quickly shut the door. <laughs> but um, it is, you know, it's very reminiscent of places like Vancouver Island and British Columbia, for example, maybe a place like Iceland as well. Like just those really unique islands, which have had a very different creation uh, and evolutionary pathway uh, to like the bigger land masses around them. So there's a lot of unique stuff here. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, you know, I, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty big island. It's about 200 kilometers from the from south of Melbourne. Uh, so it's about 200 kilometers long and about 200 kilometers wide, roughly. And it's roughly in the shape of a triangle. So um, in the, <laughs> having, having grown up in Australia, distances are not <laughs> We have a different measuring scale, basically, for how long it takes to get places. Uh, so Tasmania is really small <laughs> because a lot of places, you know, the next town's like an hour away. Uh, so yeah. it's a very different place in that Australian sort of cultural landscape as well. Cool. Yeah. I saw some, some stuff about, you know, the Island on, on the Wikipedia and, you know, there's a, there's a lot to read and, you know, very, a lot of, you know, various species of trees and, and uh, wildlife. So, oh, so yeah. uh, if we're going back to the, uh, the, the Tasmania big tree uh, mapping project, what, what is it in essence, you know, what, what are you actually doing? Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to get people activated, to be honest, mate. Like, the bit, I, if these trees were in the states or in Scandinavia, for example, like I think that yeah. they would be much better respected. And I just, you know, as a tree nerd, as a tree lover, it's really hard to travel to places like the Pacific Northwest, where they have such a great understanding. And sort of knowledge around their forests and a cultural they have a, these trees have a cultural significance in those places whereas here in tasmania it's just like uh you know we, do, we don't really have that 
Uh, and that's, uh, to be honest, come about by many decades of uh, confrontation over the forest, like forest protests and all, all that kind of stuff. And that's a really necessary part of Tasmania at this moment because a lot of places around the world don't have wilderness. Like I can, from my house, I can walk out my front door and probably cross three roads and then just walk through the bush all the way to the other side of Tasmania. So there is a, a fantastic amount of just unroaded wild places where hardly anyone ever goes that we just aren't really respecting. And I think us as Tasmanians don't have that, uh, that knowledge of how special that stuff is. But if you go to some place like going back to America, for example, where they have a very, you know, their redwoods and their sequoias in particular, they're, they're a culturally significant tree. They're ecologically significant for sure. But within the American psyche, those trees are really important. Uh, and we just don't have that here in Tasmania. So that's one of the things we're really trying to do with the big tree register is just let people know <laughs> that there's massive trees out there that relatively easy to get to. And you don't really need to like have a PhD to, to enjoy them. Like you can just go to the base of these massive trees and just stoke out, mate. You can be like, what the hell? This is great. Um, and that's, that's basically all we're trying to do. Just cre create a better culture around these giant trees in Tasmania. That's very nice. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, people don't really, uh, you know, understand, you know, the, uh, all the positives about trees, what they bring to, uh, to humans in terms of, you know, cleaning air, you know, and, and all that, you know, there's a, there's a whole range of, you know, positive sides with, with trees and, and, you know, nature in general. So, uh, that's very good. Yeah, that's so. But you, you've been working on on various projects, uh, you know, all over the world. You know, uh, can you tell us? You know, you were talking about, you know, uh, you know, the U.S., you know, Moor Woods, and you know, the redwoods and the sequoias and stuff. So, uh, you know, uh, how do you work on these projects, and what do they entail? Uh, it's <laughs> every project is different. Uh, like in Taiwan, for example, we had like a, a local person there, Rebecca Hsu. Um, who was very high up in the forestry department of Taiwan. And she really championed our project, the idea of our project to her colleagues and basically invited us over to Taiwan to, to take this photo and do, and do this project. So that one, Taiwan came about really, really easily. Like the Pacific Northwest projects that we did. Uh, to be honest, mate, it was just kind of a, a tree holiday where we had a product at the end of it, you know, it wasn't, we didn't have any, we, it was all self-funded. We didn't have any funding from anyone to do that project. We, you know, begged, borrowed and stole, you know, some gear from like Westbur. They gave us some stuff and, you know, Tim Kovar at Tree Climbing Planet really helped us out. And just a lot of dudes, a lot of just really enthusiastic tree guys, just, oh, dude, you want to do something cool? Yeah. And they would just like drive out to these rando spots that we found trees at like and help us for a couple of days set up this uh, camera rig. And so I guess the key thing is like, there's no, <laughs> there's no method other than having that product at the end and that journey about how we uh, go about achieving that goal is always, it's always very, very different. So uh, yeah, every project's really different. So. 
So, you know, you talked about, you know, your mission that, you know, uh, <clears throat> about getting people to understand, you know, that they have these fantastic trees around them. But, you know, I assume there, there are several aspects to, to the purpose, you know, of this project for you, right? Uh, definitely. Um, uh, going back to the, the basic confrontation that we have in Tasmania culturally about our forests is that we have, I, you're, in culturally, you're said to be either a bogan, which is like a logger sort of, you know, mindset, or you're a greenie, like an environmentalist. And the society, the culture here is really polarized between those two camps. Uh, and I think regular people, normal people, uh, who aren't part of those really polarized camps, just aren't engaging with forests because they think that the forests are a battleground or they're not, you can't go these places. Um, so it's really just a, a public education resource where we give people the tools where they can discover for themselves what we have here in Tasmania. So everything's free, everything's open. If people ring me up, my phone number's on the bloody website, people to ring me up, say, where can I go? I was like, mate, I'll chat to those people for like an hour and like make a plan for them. Um, and really, really coming up in the next few months, coming up to our... Uh, summer, uh, Christmas period, uh, we're going to be launching like a, a new website, which is purely focused on, on those kind of people, the tourism aspect. And so it's going to be called Big Tree State. Uh, and it's going to be okay. a much more well-presented, much more concise uh, tourism-focused information resource where people can actually plan out a drive. We'll have uh, links to accommodation places nearby, we're going to get our, okay. uh, uh, our friends, our, our colleagues at Forestry Watch, an organization here in Tasmania. We've been tagging out tracks uh, through forestry land um, to go to these big trees because there's no tracks. It's hard. Like, there's no walks. You just park your car literally on the side of a dirt road, really. Walk in 100 meters and there's all these giant trees. So like a place like if you have been, California, where these trees are presented, they have signage, they have walks, you have a car park, yeah, you have a toilet, <laughs> you know, all these basic things that allow people to enjoy these spaces, we don't have. And so this, this I see is that first critical step and just letting everyone know that these trees exist and you can go and see them. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I've been up to uh, Moore Woods, uh, oh. you know, north, north of San Francisco. And like you said, you know, they're, there's parking lots, you know, there's information signs, you know, there's uh, restaurants and, uh, you know, there's pathways along the trees and they tell the history about the trees and, you know, it's, uh, so, so you're, you're essentially, you're, you're um, uh, putting this on your website, you know, to, to give people certain trails, you know, what they can look and expect in terms of trees. Oh, definitely. And, yeah. And different things. Of those. Yeah. So it's uh, a, that's very cool. Yeah. And like, again, we're not getting paid to do it, but it's just, it's just such a basic resource that is needed to start something. And that's where I think that we are. Like, I look at it as like, I have this, I have this gift of understanding these trees and knowing where these trees sit in the global context of like awesome trees because <laughs> I've been around and seen like and climbed trees and like love them. And I think that I'm super lucky to have this ability to have the knowledge and the ability to, to cre create resources like this and 
you know, I'd rather spend my own time doing it rather than, you know, write grant proposals and all this sort of stuff. It doesn't take much to make a website. So just, just have a crack and like get the ball rolling basically. Nice. So, so, you know, you're talking about those, you know, seeing some of the posts that you have, you know, these trees are absolutely huge. So, uh, you know, I suppose you're using the standard uh, climbing equipment, except for, you know, the ropes that might need to be much longer, right? So, uh, <laughs> how, how, how do you find these trees? Um, uh, we always, we basically start out, um, well, I'll get, I'll get the tool right here. Whoop. All right. So this is our uh, semi-legal uh, air cannon. So a lot, okay. of, a lot of people yeah. have been making these in Tasmania and we just shoot like a fishing reel up into the trees, like a 10 yeah. out, 10 ounce throw bag with fishing line. And mate, I can almost shoot over the top of any tree in Tasmania with this setup. And uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but then the, you always capture. So yeah, you, you don't, you never, ha you never start a climb of a big tree with an isolated branch. You've always got half the canopy captured <laughs> in your climbing line. So, you know, and you're always like super keen at the base. It's like, yeah, let's go. Whoa. Then if you're like the first one up, you, you kind of get closer and closer to see what you're actually like anchored over or the, the seven things that you kind of got captured in your line. It's like, oh, I might, uh, I might land it off real quick here and uh, try and reset that line. <laughs> um, but yeah, like pioneering these trees is, mate, it's, it's a sensational bloody ex uh, yeah. experience, you know, like if you get a 60 meter shot and you've still got 30 meters left to go, like, yeah. mate, it's, it's bloody hard work. And Amazing. it's a, a whole lot of fun because when we take like, like production climbers, like arborists that work in trees all day, every day in the suburbs, and we take them out to the climb a giant tree. Um, we always sort of really emphasize that it's not a work climb. And so you never like throw ropes out of the tree. Like if you've got a long line, like a 35 or a 60 meter line that you have to reroute in the tree, mate, you, you pull that line up and you like lower it gently down through that yeah. tree because you're going to damage the tree. It's 500 years old. And we really try and just show those guys that, you know, this is an amazing place and holy smokes, it's, it's just an hour from your home. So yeah, it's pretty special as experience. Yeah, I can imagine. So uh, what, what kind of, you know, do you meet a lot of, you know, uh, animals, birds, snakes, <laughs> you know, lizards and stuff when you find those trees? Uh, in Tasmania, no, we're quite cold. So s snake interactions are <laughs> pretty low. Um, yeah. I have had some. I heard you had uh, three, three different species, right? Three different species of snake in Tasmania. Two you don't even worry about, but there's one called the tiger it's snake. It's the, the tiger snake yeah. is like the, 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 just the classic, I was going to swear, like F off snake. It's huge. It blacks. It, it just loves to sit right in the middle of the path because the past is the most exposed place in the landscape. And it just sort of sits there and you walk past every time, but they're pretty, they're pretty, they're pretty docile to be honest because of the cold temperatures, but it's pretty classic. Some of the best wildlife experiences I've had uh, climbing a giant tree is uh, stumbling across uh, two possums uh, and they are a, a, a marsupial like tree climbing 
animal and they live in the yeah, su yeah. suburbs and stuff like that. They're, they're really cute. Um, but I was uh, climbing, advancing a line up in a, a big tree and there was like this huge hollow branch that just went out from me and I was climbing, uh, lanyarding up. So I was above the main line a little bit and sort of lanyarding up and I was just about to sort of clip into my next spot and I must have kicked that, that dead branch or something like that. And these two possums just come out. And like this limb is like 40, 50 meters above the ground. And they just come out of it and look back towards me. And there's nowhere else to go apart from me. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just at this tree going, no, no, don't, 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 don't jump on me. Don't jump on me. And like, I was really, because <laughs> I, I always thought they were just going to go. Aah! But um, no, they, they just, they jumped and landed in a branch nearby. So they were fine. But another classic, uh, people often ask, what's the coolest wildlife, it, well, what's the coolest wildlife that I've seen up there? And a lot of the time for me, it's the best thing is just watching wildlife be wildlife. Um, and to, to just explain that a little bit further, if you're up in a really big tree in a wild forest, a lot of the time the birds don't understand what you are. Like they haven't seen you it, like i haven't seen yeah, exactly. a person in a tree so it's like penguins in the antarctic or something like that that aren't afraid of people because they don't know what people are so on the ground sure these same birds would be scared of you but i've had kookaburras come up like this far away wild kookaburras and try and eat my green lanyard the end of my green lanyard thinking it was a snake or oh, something really? like that and like other birds just yeah. like a, a just groups of birds traveling in gangs through the canopy and feeding on all the insects. You can hear them coming yeah. for a little bit and they get into your tree. They're all dancing around you and they fly away. So it's, it's those experiences yeah. of just not being a human, I guess, and seeing wildlife be wild is a, probably the best experience I've had. Yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah. Really would be nice to experience that. So, uh, you know, uh, when you're up there, you know, you're, you're, you have some pretty stunning videos and photos and, and uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit about how you capture those and, you know, the, uh, the process behind that art? Um, to be honest, like 90, 95 or 99% of it really is just capturing what we do. Like we just go and climb a giant tree and I just get some, get some, get some shots basically like, uh, when we, when we climb with our climbing group, um, I'm usually sort of a bit hands on trying to manage people and guide them through the experience and help them out a little bit. But like, for example, uh, this week we went and climbed a, a really big tree on Wednesday. I think it was, was just like pro climbers and dudes that really knew how to climb. And it was so good. Cause it just up to the top of the tree, like Cal was like going out all the way out in this branch. I was like, hold up Cal. Like, whoosh just got a nice shot and trying to like, you know, move about the canopy of these trees, like trying to find great angles and great ways where you can really show the tree and, and how big and enormous and, and like the structure of it, but also show the people that did give it context as well. And I guess uh, it's just one of those things like you guys, I've never used a chainsaw. <laughs> So using a chainsaw in a tree for me is like, what the, oh, I wouldn't even like, I would have no clue, but like, maybe you could think that a camera is like that chainsaw for me. I know how to 
clip it off and keep yeah. it safe. I know how to work with it. I know how not to break it. I know not to, to smash it around. I know the angles. I know the how branches kind of work in photos and the depth of photos and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's just kind of one of those things. But video is always a lot harder because you have to be still. <laughs> and like, yeah, being exactly. being still when the world is moving, the whole structure around you is very flexible and uh, in, in motion. Uh, that's really hard work. So, yeah. Are you using uh, helmet-mounted cameras as well? No, it's all it's all. Um, oh, we do, we do have some GoPros, but I never really like uh, the footage that comes out of it. To be honest, it's always too quick, uh, and I really, yeah. uh, really to 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 show the experience and the the subject, you just need to let let life happen in front of that camera so a lot of the time just really want to have a, a still shot where there's some motion or a person's actually climbing in the shot uh rather than the camera itself like pan up and pan down and stuff like that so like the it's being still in a, in a tree and having <laughs> 10 seconds even just 10 seconds of like stillness because you're kind of working you're always landing off and trying to get into the spot and then you're like okay and so you just got to have those really like but with a photo it's like snap you can you can kind of just grab it for sure yeah yeah so uh you know uh, <clears throat> i suppose you know uh since you're you're uh you were studying photography right so you're you're a professional photographer you can say right uh i think professional in attitude i try and do a really good job every time but i'm not i have no training or anything like that i yeah just all self-taught climbing and all self-taught camera stuff so yeah yeah, but you know, uh, I, I think a lot of people are, are trying to improve, you know, their content on Instagram and you know take better pictures and so forth. So, uh, you know, is is there any any advice you can give people who are looking to improve, you know, their content? Because your your footage is really amazing. Right? <laughs> so, is there any hits and or, or tips you can give people? I think the the biggest the biggest thing with any any like recording or like still or motion is you have to give yourself the opportunity. <laughs> like you can have the, you can dream about it like all you want, but what you need to do <laughs> is actually get one of your mates and go and climb a tree together and be like, Oi, Oi, go and stand over there. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to get a good shot. So I think in a tree, when people are wanting to move and wanting to experience that space, the best tip is be the boss <laughs> and direct them to where you want them to be in the photo because like the the stuff moves so quick and like when you're handling like a, a five or seven thousand dollar camera piece of equipment mate you're not you're not like you're not getting it out of your pocket real quick it's like all right i'm gonna like just like a chainsaw i exactly. guess yeah just like a chainsaw like you're gonna have your main line real secure you're gonna lanyard off you're gonna get in your position and try and be real still and then you're gonna start working and like while you're doing that like life is happening so just be like, hey, stop, yeah. stop, do that. Like, go back down and climb again. And like, we're going to get the sickest shot. So directing is probably the biggest tip, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Arranging the shot, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can be in the moment, but often the moments go far past too quickly when you're in a tree because yeah. your life's at stake as well as <laughs> getting a good shot. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
So, so uh, you know, you, you, you've done a documentary as well, right? Tasmania's Big Tree Hunters. Yeah, so we just, uh, we just uh, had the premiere a couple of weeks ago now and have done uh, another screening as well here in Tasmania. And it's been, it's been really, uh, it's been amazing, to be honest. Uh, we, you know, created the film uh, as part of a, a Tasmanian government uh, arts grant to tell the story about these big trees. And we sort of, you know, mentioned the, the threats that the, that the trees have and the forests have, like logging, for example, and, and climate change and sort of uh, the apathy in our Tasmanian culture for our giant trees. But we told it, tried to tell this story through the lens of five characters and five people who have all different backgrounds and basically follow their tree journey about the particular thing that they're interested in about the big trees, because you can just see a big tree and that's it. But once you become really engaged, you, you find a cause or you find something to really, really love like climbing or like, you know, forestry or, or something like that. So follow five different stories and it all just ties together to, to let people know that uh, while we do have big trees here in Tasmania, our big tree population is really old um, and we don't have the next generation. We have very few examples of 300 year old trees that are like 70, 80 meters tall. There's like only two locations that I can think of where I've seen trees that are healthy next generation trees. And so just, I guess another public education resource that allows people to connect with either one of the characters or multiple characters, depending on their, the, the viewer's personal background and story, but also tells the, tells the story uh, sort of in a real way, but not in a, a confrontational or combative way. We don't blame anyone. We just tell the story how it is and people can make their own minds up. Um, yeah. It's been really great at the premiere. We made sure to invite not all of our mates. <laughs> so we invited a lot of the, the gov government officials, uh, people from the tourism industry, different tour companies. Um, and so we really wanted to make that event uh, as much of a cultural turning point as we could. And to be honest, it, it's, it kind of feels like that's kind of happened because there's been a lot of buzz about big trees in the last few weeks after it. So it's great. Okay. So we're very successful here. Uh, and so, we're, we're, so are you planning Sorry. Sorry. Uh, we're also going to have uh, – nobody else has really seen it yet because we're trying to work out how to deliver it. Um, and this coming Thursday, we're going to have uh, – start live streaming events on Facebook where we show the film but also can do a presentation after that goes a bit more in-depth about Tasmania and the state of big trees okay. here. Um, so that's coming up next Thursday, uh, Australian time, which is <laughs> not so not so uh, good for a European. But we're going to further down next week or two have specialised events for European audiences and American audiences, and sort of cater to other people's time nice. time frames as well. So keep an eye on our Facebook yeah, and Instagram yeah. for those. Yeah. Uh, great. Looking forward to that. Mm. So, so you also have a you know a quite awesome YouTube channel. So, uh, you know, what what kind of content can people find there? For <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> a fair, a, a lot. I think if you go, it's a really great way to see the journey that we've been on over the last five or six years and, you know, the, the stuff that we were used to make and what we're making now is really different kind of uh, material. But uh, primarily um, over the last year, we've been making uh, short sort of fun educational videos about uh, individual eucalypt species here in Australia. And for that, uh, yeah. we traveled as many places as we could to sort of discover trees, unique eucalypts uh, from every corner of Australia, basically. But we had planned to go up the east coast of Australia on a trip, but uh, COVID kicked in. Uh, so we all sort of had to hunker down here yeah. in Tasmania. But luckily, we already had Western Australia and the southern coastline, South Australia. Our trees are already filmed. So there's 12 videos in total there. And that's that was a lot of fun making that, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So you, you touched on COVID there. So, so uh, you know, how, how, how affected has uh, Tasmania been from, from the COVID virus? Oh, mate, it, it really pays to be at the end of the earth on a small island. <laughs> COVID doesn't exist, mate. Like, we have no I – know, I know COVID's really bad in a lot of places for sure. And, like, you know, but it really feels like in Tasmania we've been spectators to it uh, more than anything else. So – you know, from from April last year, we've had no active cases in Tasmania. Oh, really? uh, and so we've had free travel in the States. And like, uh, to be That's honest, yes, yeah, so to be honest, it's been really great that our uh, government, uh, you know, people have attitudes about lockdowns and stuff like that. But uh, like, for example, there was oh, a sure. there was just a. Uh, a, a case, a wild case in Sydney. And I think they just locked down the whole entire city for three days. It's like, all right, no one, you just got to stay home for three days. They keep, they keep the testing up and stuff like that. And if there's, if there's no more cases, they start to open it back up. But uh, yeah, it's. But I think you know, the, lo the lockdowns in Melbourne has been significantly longer than three days, right? Oh, heck yeah. That yeah. was. Yeah, Turkey for, for a couple of months. Oh, uh, mate, that was, that was bloody hard. Um, yeah. And. It's, I can really understand if I was doing that, I'd get really uh, unhappy <laughs> saying it very nicely about, about yeah. that situation for sure. But the result of yeah. that is like we in Australia, there's no active cases. There was one case in Sydney and there was nothing for a month before that. And, you know, so we've got free travel uh, and basically I wouldn't say no fear here in Australia as a result of, very strict uh, lockdowns and uh, sort of controls, but you know people yeah. people aren't dying as well. Uh, so it's pretty, uh, a, you know, it's a different. It's a very different response with a very different outcome and e the economics of it and stuff like that. I don't really know too much yeah. about, but it's worked if we wanted to stop people dying. That's for sure. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, get the herd immunity. I, I had my first shot a couple of days ago, so oh, nice one. That's good. I think. Uh, yeah. I think. I think our government's uh, our vaccine rollout's going very poorly, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we don't really need it because we're not like a really active cases, no, no. and so I think a lot of the there's only so much supply the world can have instantly of like billions of uh, doses and stuff like that. So I think Australia's a low priority because, you know, 
where uh, in in the middle of COVID, we're sort of distant to it a little bit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think we're we're you know see we're getting down to our standard question. You know, what, what what's your favorite piece of the tree climbing gear uh, of all times and why? Oh, well, my favorite piece is also probably the the piece that we need the most, and that is the uh, the 180 meter 600 footer. Uh, Teufelberger KM3 Max. Uh, without yeah. that, without that, without that single, unbroken 180 meter line, our job would be uh, a lot more difficult for sure. And you know, once we get a tree uh, uh, aligned to the summit of a tree, uh, we can, if we want to come back to that tree, we'll leave a, a tag line or a trace line in the tree. And so next time we can basically just rock up with the rope and tied onto the, the trace line and then haul that line uh, straight up. So, yep. you know, I think it's, uh, mate, for years we just climbed on Blake's hitches, to be honest, because we didn't, we weren't like in the ARB world, so to speak. We were more in the science world. And so we were just, cl yeah. we, cl we climbed on Blake's hitches and Grigri's and hand extenders for like five years. And it's only been the last little while where it's been like, oh, a rope wrench. Oh, rope walking. Oh, that, oh. so yeah, and stuff like a. I love a Taz, mate. It has the Taz Ascender. Oh, yeah. Is like, it's not <clears throat> it's not great for production work because you 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 can't use it one handed and have to have the extra control point. But to go up and down a line real quick, oh, mate, there's nothing nothing better than that for sure. Yeah, it must be you know it must be very good to have a Taz in Tasmania. <laughs> yeah, uh, mate. It's a, that, that. nobody gets uh, nobody gets tired of that one for sure. But um, Pierre really helped us out with a with a couple of units, and mate, we can get we can get anyone with any amount of climbing experience, be it zero or heaps of climbing experience, up into a giant tree on a Taz, and you know, watch them. But just know that that device is so simple to use, and you can yeah. still use the rope walk method to get up the line really efficiently and it just works so that that device has probably uh really enabled us to do to take people out into these forests into these trees and uh have confidence that they're going to be just fine yeah so so tell us uh you know what has been the most rewarding for you and the team you know working with all these you know three related projects oh the most re the most rewarding is a a being able to have these experiences. I mean, like I said before, we, we don't have a complicated life and we don't have a lot of bills and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we're able to be like, well, let's just go to, to, to America for three months and climb trees and hang out. And, you know, that was amazing. But just meeting, the, meeting people who from many countries and many languages and many cultures who as individuals have a have a vocabulary about trees and how they understand them and how they engage with trees but also on a on a broader scale understanding uh, different cultures and how those sort of cultures also appreciate trees in, in a different way so um and i think it's that insight that's really made me look at tasmania and be like mate we we have this amazing stuff and we're just not doing it a justice. These trees need to be like the top tier tourism, you know, top tier nature based experience here in Tasmania for sure. So that's, I feel real lucky about that.
Nice. Nice. <clears throat> yeah, I think we're we're uh, kind of approaching the end here. You know, you were you were <coughs> packing up all your gear to go back yeah. to the Springs. Yeah. For, for, you're gonna stay there for a couple of months, or? Yeah, so I'll be I'll be based out of Alice Springs in Central Australia, but uh, where I'll be working is probably like a thousand kilometers west of uh, Alice Springs. So, uh, okay. yeah, like as as desert remote as you can possibly be. So our nearest, like the nearest place to get a drink, would be six hundred kilometers away. <laughs> um, wow. uh, yeah, so. It's a, it's it like and like. If you if you if you can get past the comfort or the lack the lack of comfort and, you know the lack of connectivity with your mates and all that kind of stuff and and appreciate, where you are, mate. This these places are like the most pristine, desert landscapes in in Australia, and, you know if you're worried about, uh, you know doing your washing and stuff like that, like you're just going to miss out on it. So I feel very lucky to have uh, work out there, but also feel very lucky that I can uh, prioritize really enjoying those locations for what they are as well. Yeah. So I, I suppose you have to uh, <clears throat> publish the, the content later because, you know, there, there's essentially no connectivity out there, right? Oh, there's, there's mobile reception. Yeah. So there's, there's like 4G, but like there's like a little like a 20 by like a 10 by 10 kilometer circle <laughs> of 4G in the middle of the desert where there's like a little town. <laughs> but as soon as, as soon as you get out yeah, okay. outside that circle, there's like nothing. Um, yeah, and like that's part of the also part of the fun of working for yourself. I guess a lot of the time is there's no deadlines. Like uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's like no, there's no pressure for me to to get this stuff done. It's like you know. But the only pressure is sort of comes from me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. do it in your own pace. Yeah, man, for sure. So um, um, I'm 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 uh, talking to my cameraman here. See if we have any questions from the audience. I think there's a couple of these, right? There's two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what does it say? It's two number four. one. How many trees have you mapped so far? Uh, so in Tasmania, we've mapped. Uh, We've confirmed around about 315 uh, giant trees, and that's trees that are over 85 meters high or greater than 280 cubic meters in volume. Um, the, the height, the high trees, uh, we, we are very unlikely to find any more high trees because uh, of the LIDAR mapping that's happened in the state. So basically, all the places where, where trees grow has been mapped with LIDAR. Uh, so we won't find any other high trees, but those real big fatty volumetric trees, like there's, there's stacks of those kind of trees out there. And, you know, there's like inspiring, you know, <laughs> one person can't do like a, a small fraction of the work, you know, but, you know, what we try and aim to do most of all is inspire other people to sort of take on that challenge, I guess, and become involved in their own uh, journey and find these places and find these trees. Yeah. So when you map the trees or, you know, every tree get a, like a geo point on, 
or uh, how you know uh, on a map or how do you how do you know exactly where to find it yeah so basically we have uh, on our website we have uh, the gps pinpoints uh, of all the known trees and so you can just go to our website thetreeprojects.com and uh, just click on the page which particular region you want to go and look at the trees at and just travel surf surf an interactive google map um, with pins on it and you can click on those pins they'll have the gps point it'll have the name of the tree it'll have uh, the data that we do have uh, for that tree but um i think the key thing is like we are lucky to have places that haven't been walked before you know or at least not since uh the europeans showed up uh and colonized the the state um so there's lots of opportunities for new discoveries of just old, crumbly, really gnarly, big fatty trees. Like the height ones, they're all they're all done pretty much. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, what was the second one? <clears throat> what are some upcoming projects? Uh, yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. So uh, the I guess COVID's, I think COVID's forced us, or I guess inspired us, is a better way of looking at it, to really change our direction. And, and instead of going for international projects where we travel, we pack up all our bags and travel over to some place for a number of weeks or a month to, uh, to find and photograph a tree, it's really forced us to really focus on our home patch here in Tasmania. So the next big project is uh, the Big Tree State. The, the, the tourism uh, resource. Um, uh, we're also going to be engaging more with other parties here in Tasmania and trying to be, uh, I guess, more representative and meet with the tourism industry and meet with the government and, you know, just simple, simple, really simple things like meeting with the firefighting service and trying to let them know, all right, if there's a fire, mate, You've got 10 trees in that area, but this is the tree that you need to drop the water on. You know, just simple stuff like yeah. that because, you know, uh, you know, having we had a massive fire here in 2019 and, like, we lost 25, like, 14, as, 14 of our top 25 trees. And, like, wow. the firefighters have priorities and those priorities aren't giant trees and that's understandable because life and property, infrastructure are all really important yeah. things to save. But... You know, if they're dropping water in a random patch of forest, like maybe there can be a, a, some precision in that to really save like a really unique individual tree. Yeah, so that's the kind of stuff that we're going to try and work on over the next few months uh, and sort of going forward as well. Yeah. So, so the trees that are most susceptible to fire are are those the eucalyptus trees due to the oil? Uh, so yeah, it's a really bizarre bit of uh, evolution. <laughs> So the eucalyptus regnans, the really tall, really fat uh, giant tree, we have a number of species which grow over 85 meters here, but eucalyptus regnans is like the really big one. And evolutionary, it loves fire, okay? If you look at the same species up in Victoria, for example, where it's a drier forest, those trees are, are used to burning. So their evolutionary strategy is to grow hard and then burn hard, all right? And through burning really hard, they burn the entire forest around them. 
but they've also got massive amounts of seed stock in the soil to take advantage of the of the ash bed after the fire. Uh, and so as we keep going forward into the the climate future, like it takes about 20 years for trees to mature and set seed. So a fire, a fire interval of more than 20 years is fine, right? But a fire interval of less than 20 years, and that species is lost from the landscape. Um, interestingly as well, that on the other end of the scale here in Tasmania, where it's a lot colder and wetter, eucalyptus regnans, that same species, like the seeds typically don't germinate in a, in a shaded forest. So you'll walk to where all these giant, big old gnarly trees are and there's no young trees. And that's because the rainforest that's grown around that tree over the last 500 years is preventing its seeds from germinating. And unless there is a fire in that rainforest ecosystem or wet sclerophyll, wet eucalypt forest, as those old trees die, eucalyptus, that species of eucalyptus will be lost from that landscape through being starved out. So on either end of their age scale, there's like this really uh, big dependence on fire. Um, so that's, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking <laughs> to go around to the Southern forests here, which did burn in 2019, but in 300, 400 years, maybe there'll be some big trees there again. Uh, yeah. But similarly, we have patches of, here in Tasmania, we have patches of really old forest where the trees are barely alive still. And they're like, ah. Um, and those places equally won't have eucalyptus regnans in them in the next hundred years because they've been sort of drowned out by the shade. So interesting, really interesting sort of stuff, yeah. Learn it. So, uh, yeah, thank you for this very uh, interesting conversation, Steve. Uh, it was uh, it was certainly uh, uh, a big deal, real pleasure to have you on the people chat. Cool, man. And hear about all your fantastic projects you're doing down there. So, uh, uh, good luck in our springs, and and uh, we're looking forward to uh, follow you and see some more exciting content coming out. Uh, I'm gonna check your website uh, and and uh, you know get some more education there. So, um, good luck and have a, a you know safe landings in in Australia. And, uh, <laughs> Have a continued nice weekend. And uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, have a nice weekend. Have a couple of it. So. It's Saturday night um, here, bud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Going for a beer. I'm, I'm just going back for breakfast. <laughs> it's always 5 o'clock somewhere, as they say. <laughs> exactly. Take care. Thank you very much. You too, buddy. Thanks very much. Ciao. Thank you. Bye.